book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my seven-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. This is the first episode for book four. What's book four called? Um, the Goblet of Fire. The Goblet of Fire. We're going to get through the first uh, probably quarter of the book, the first ten or so chapters in this episode, and it's almost entirely about Quidditch, right? Mm-hmm. Most, most of the first part of this book takes place in or around the Quidditch World Cup, but we don't start there. Uh, we start with Chapter 1, The Riddle House. Do you remember this? It's been a while since you read Book 4. Yes, um, I remember this part because um, remember a few days ago when we were at our friend, um, when you when we were at your friend's house, um, I watched Book 4 on, on their projector. Oh, that's right. You watched yeah. the movie. Um, this one in particular begins uh, a trend that sort of happens over the rest of the entire book and movie series where the books are getting longer and longer and longer, so the movies have to leave more and more and more out, right? Yeah. So, for instance, uh, this whole chapter, The Riddle House, in the movie takes place in maybe under a minute and, Something like uh, that. And these whole first ten chapters at the Quidditch World Cup, it's like a maybe a five minute scene. So there's there's characters left out entirely. There's uh, are there? Oh yeah, tons. Oh, there, that's right. Almost everything that happens um, of any importance that's attributed to like a new or a non main character is just given to someone else in the movies. Uh, so they, they sort of gloss over a lot. They leave out a lot of characters and. Uh, and get non-specific, but the books were previously twenty-ish chapters, and now they're like forty-ish chapters, pretty much from here on out. So this is this might be the biggest book. I know it's not the biggest. No, I think this is thirty-seven, and the next book five is thirty-eight chapters. So, but this is a huge one. Like when I was I was looking at them on your shelf, and it was like small book. Slightly larger book. Slightly larger, slightly larger, and then huge, and then like four times. <laughs> it was it, it, that's a massive book. So, uh, so in the Riddle House, um, we already know somebody whose last name is Riddle, right? Yeah, Tom Riddle from who, book. We learned about him in book two. Yeah, he's um, Lord Voldemort, but um, but not until he's older. So it's safe to assume the Riddle House is related to Lord Voldemort, right? Yes. So, 50 years before something happened in the Riddle House, or 50 years before our story is taking place, uh, do you remember what happened at the Riddle House? Um, um, nobody knows how, but, um, somebody assassinated the Riddles. And what does assassinated mean? It means, um, either hurt or kill. It only means kill. Oh. Yeah, it means killed on purpose. And so they had a they had a gardener named Frank Bryce. What happened to him? Um um it was late at night um and he he was I think he was going to check on the riddles or something 
So he went to the house, um, noticed nobody was there, um, and he um, walked up the steps knowing that somebody was up um, stairs talking. So well, Actually, that's a little bit ahead. The first really? thing that happens 50 years ago is that when the riddles are found murdered. Oh, that's right. I keep thinking of the movie. The uh, Yeah, the, the movie skips all this. The riddles are found murdered. And no one knows how they died because they look wide awake and healthy, but they're just dead. Isn't that what I just said? I mean, early, I mean, like a few seconds ago. And then what happens to Frank? Um, does he die? The police think he did it. Oh. And they don't find any evidence to say that he did it. But there's suspicion always that he did it. They just think that he might have done it because um, he might be tired of being um, of working for them, but he can't stop or something. Something like that. So or, for some reason, though, he's allowed to continue living in the house for the next 50 years. So, uh, so now we're to where you're talking about. Uh, Frank thinks that maybe some kids have broken into the house. And he starts going up the stairs. And what happens then? Um, he hears somebody talking um, upstairs, but he doesn't know who. So he tries to be as quiet on the creaky stairs as he can. So um, the stairs don't make a noise when he steps on them. Uh-huh. And when he gets up, he hides behind a door and looks through a crack in the door. Uh-huh. And sees somebody um, talking in an armchair to two people. Um, one person we already know, and one we don't know. Who's the one that we do know? Um, Wormtail. Um, right, so we know Wormtail from book three. Yeah, which is also Scabbers. Yes, he was Scabbers, correct. So he was he was Ron's pet rat, Scabbers, and now he is just a dude who looks like a rat. Yeah, he's kind of creepy. Yeah, he's super creepy. <laughs> he's also a servant yeah. of who? Of Lord Voldemort. And and just uh, for a brief recap from the previous book, uh, Wormtail was the secret keeper for James and Lily. He was one of their best friends. That's right. He gave up their location to Voldemort, thus allowing them to be killed. Yeah, that's the one thing I don't understand. Um, um, maybe he thought that... He wasn't safe or something, and then and then he was like, "Oh, Lord Voldemort would keep me safe because he's like the most powerful being ever." Probably something like that. He he seems to not be very brave, right? Or smart. He uh, yeah, I don't know if his intelligence is ever really addressed, but he definitely seems uh, to be a bit of a coward, and so he sees someone powerful, and assumes that. Uh, you know, someone powerful, whether they're good or evil, would, would be a protect good, him. yeah, be a good ally for him. Sort of like a shield. <laughs> also, at the time that this happened, Voldemort and his followers were killing lots and lots of people, and he probably didn't want to be one of the ones killed. He would rather get his friends killed than get killed himself. So, and that is not very. Um, that does not seem very nice to your friends at all. No, certainly not. Um, yeah, he, he definitely was not a good friend. Uh, probably as bad of a friend as you could be. So that's who Wormtail is. Now he's there with, we, we don't know who really. We know that it's uh, some sort of, you know, tiny 
man with a thin, cold voice. Yeah. Kind of a hissy voice. And what happens uh, when Frank is peering through the peering through the door? Um, I think somebody. Um, I think the guy we don't know. Um. Um. Wait. I thought there were two people. Um. Beside the person in the armchair. Person in the armchair, the tiny person with the uh, hissy voice and is then, there. Wormtail is there because he refers to him by name. And then there's a, sec- uh, a second who, uh, follower. Who we don't know whatsoever. And the voice asks for Nagini. Um, who, um, we have no idea who that is. But um, some people might think that since... The voice is a hissy voice. Um, they might think maybe they're asking for something or someone with a hissy voice. So I'm not sure. Okay, so then Wormtail, uh, it sounds like they're making plans. Wormtail mentions something like it doesn't have to be done with Harry Potter. We could do it. We could achieve our goals without Harry Potter. So whoever's there, he's looking for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But is he okay with that plan? Not really. No, he says it must be Harry Potter. So uh, Frank is sitting there, and they're, they're, they're sort of going through all of their plans, but suddenly they notice, they also mention that Bertha Jorkins is missing. Yes. Um, and, um, and maybe the... <coughs> sorry. Um, or... <coughs> Maybe um, Harry Potter is the guy in the armchair is like mortal em- enemy or something. <laughs> well, I think that would be a leap of logic, but it, you are correct. Because obviously the thing in the armchair is Lord Voldemort. Uh, in some form or another, he's he's reclaimed some sort of physical form. We're not really sure how. Because the last time we heard from him, he was just sort of a spirit. Yeah, he was sort of like a ghosty spirit something. But now he's got kind of a weird uh, creepy ghoul baby body. <laughs> which is uh, super gross. With a with a um, with um, with white pale skin and um, no hair and um, So the voice says he hears sorta. Nagini coming and then Frank hears something behind him. What, what does Nagini turn out to be? A, a giant snake. Yeah, like a really big snake. And the uh, door pops open, and they sort of order Frank to enter the room. He seems to be maybe under a spell. And what happens to Frank? Um, I don't remember this part. There's a scream and a flash of green light, and then Frank's dead. So what do you think that flash of green light was? Um, that was probably, um... Um, Harry dreaming uh, sort of a vision or something and he sees a flash of green light when he's waking up. But the flash, do you know what it was? Nope. Was the killing curse. Oh. Avada Kedavra. It's one of the unforgivable curses, right? Yeah, um, it's the killing curse you said? Yeah, because now you realize this might be the first time that we see someone actually use the killing curse, but that's why the 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 uh, riddles appeared to be fine, but were just dead for no reason. 
the muggle police couldn't figure it out because they're not used to looking at someone that's been killed with the killing curse. They're looking for bullet holes or stab wounds or something, but they're just or, dead. Or something like a sword laying down. Or poison or blood or anything. Nope, they're just dead. So, there's so like, there's like whatever Voldemort is at this point, he's killed what we now realize is his family's old groundskeeper. But you're right, Harry does wake up from a dream as if he or a nightmare, as if he's seen the entire thing. Which is pretty freaky for Harry, right? Really? Uh, it would be pretty freaky for me. So, chapter two of The Scar, Harry wakes up from his dream, and his scar is burning, and he's trying to remember everything that's happened to him. Um, and, and then he's also trying to go back to sleep. Do you, do you remember what he does to try and get back to sleep? Um, um, he wants to read a book. Yeah, I think so. I think he wants to read, like, um, something about um, a broom care book. <laughs> so it's, sure. it's, he wants to read uh, The Flying with the Cannons, Quidditch That's book. That's right. And so he's a little worried about telling this to his friends. What do you think, what do you, what does he think's going to happen if he tells his friends? Um, they're all going to freak out and, he, <coughs> and he's imagining their... Um, reactions. Yeah, he thinks Harry, he thinks Hermione's gonna tell him to go straight to Dumbledore or look in a book for an answer. Or write to Sirius. That's what he decides to do, because uh, he doesn't like the idea of getting his friends involved at this point, and he thinks Sirius might have more input. Also, this is kind of the first time that Harry has um, an adult other than, say, Dumbledore to go to with a problem. Because even though he has other adults in his life, they're either not nice to him or he doesn't... It's not that he doesn't trust them, it's just that he does not confide in them the way he would perhaps someone he considers to be family. Yeah, there are a bunch of adults in his life, but um, Sirius and Dumbledore are the only people he um, he sort of relies on a lot. Yeah, I think I think you could say he probably trusts McGonagall, but he doesn't really confide in her all that much with his uh Maybe a little problems. too strict. Maybe so. Maybe he's afraid of being punished if he tells her what he's up to. So he Oh, and there's and of course there's Hagrid, but Hagrid's less like an adult. He's more like a giant kid sort of. Yes, yeah, sort of. Yeah. And actually um if um um I think Dumbledore um, Dumbledore, um, Dumbledore, um, Harry, Hermione, Ron are the only people who know Sirius is okay. That's true. They're the only. They're the only ones who know that he's not a murderer. So if if he told McGonagall, she would be like, "What? Where is he? Um, he's not murdered. <laughs> we trying to catch him, but that's oh, murderer. <laughs> You're hanging out with a murderer, Potter." <laughs> You're yeah, a good McGonagall impersonator. She, would, she wouldn't like that. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he's, he's looking for some wisdom from somebody who maybe has uh, some insight on what a dream, a prophetic dream like this might mean. So chapter three, uh, the invitation. Now we're at, we're back at, uh, in Little Whinging at number four, Privet Drive. And uh, Dudley and Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia are uh, having breakfast Dudley's on a diet, 
Um, it's, I, w- I would wager, you know, th- they mentioned that Dudley's overweight and that it probably has a lot to do with the fact that they give him everything he wants, right? Yeah. Um, I think the doc- the, um, they went to a doctor recently and he said, your boy is very overweight. He, um, you should give him less to eat or something. Yeah, I'm sure he's not too happy about that. No. Uh, considering he gets all of the toys and things and clothes and food he's ever wanted. Desserts. Yeah, especially and, desserts. And also, um, um, I don't think the Dursleys are very happy about that either because they're like, we want to give our son whatever we, whatever he wants. Yeah, they definitely take, um, they take their own kind of pleasure out of spoiling their kid, and he takes his own pleasure out of being spoiled. So they're all terrible. For each other and to each other and to the rest of the world. Yeah, it it was um, it wasn't Dudley's fault that um, that he that he turned out a terrible kid. It's pretty much the parents' fault because um, that they treat him terribly um, and give him every single thing he's ever wanted. So yeah, and no discipline and no yeah, uh, manners, no and- punishments. They're like they. They always, um, they always give Dudley whatever he wants, and if he does something bad, they're like, um, whatever, we'll just let him do whatever he wants. They blame it on Harry. And they're like... At this point, the only good thing the Dursleys have really done is kept Harry alive. Yeah. And and they barely have done that, so... They just don't want Harry to be, because the one thing I'm confused about is, um, well, I'm not really confused, but I'm like... Wait, if Harry's at Hogwarts for most of the year, why are you unhappy about that? But then I realized, oh, they don't want him to do anything fun, so they just don't want him to be. It's not that they don't want him to do anything fun. It's that he is a reminder of the trouble that having a magical sister caused in Petunia's life. He is also a reminder that even though she did not like her sister, she probably did not want her dead and she probably blames Harry for her sister's death. What? And their general fear of magic in general. Uh, Harry is a reminder that there are witches and wizards everywhere, and that that is something they're afraid of. So he he's sort of a, a grim reminder of a lot of things they don't like uh, just by the fact that he's alive. You see what I mean? Yeah, sort of. So... Uh, they get a letter from the Weasleys, which is unusual. And what does the letter ask for permission for Harry? Um, I think it's to go to Hogsmeade or something. It's to go to the World Cup. That's right. They want Harry to go to the World Cup with them, and uh, they but- don't want to let him go. Do you remember how he gets his way? Um, I think um they're like... Um, steal Harry in the night or something. <laughs> no, this isn't one of those times. Uh, they know that Harry is now back in touch with Sirius, but they do not know that Sirius is not a murderer. So Harry has to say something like, well, I guess I'll just ask my godfather. Oh, and they're yeah. like, no, 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 you can go, you can go, Potter. Go have fun. Get out. Don't call him. Yeah, since it, since they still think he's a a murder of all yeah. of all people. 
Um, so they think Harry's going to summon down a um, murderous which, wizard. Which, um, which wizard muggle doesn't matter. So they're like, oh, don't call him. He's just going to come to our house and kill us all. So Harry goes back to his room and there's a couple of owls there. He sees Errol, but he also sees a new owl. Do you remember who the new owl is? Um, it's named after a different animal. I'm trying to remember it. Maybe an animal that goes like... Pig? Yep. Pig. That's Ron's new owl. That's right. Um, his, his full name is Pigwidgeon. Pigwidgeon. So Ron's uh, letter says they're going to pick him up at a certain time. And he also says that uh, Percy has a new job. Do you know what he's doing? Is um, is he working for um, some kind of ministry act? Yeah, he's in the ministry now, and he works for the Department of International Magical Cooperation, which means uh, different com- di- different countries uh, that are magic, getting their magic people together and doing magic stuff. And his boss um, thinks that his last name is Weatherby. Oh, that's right. Yeah, actually, I think it calls him a lot of different names. The only one that I ever um, I remember is I think um, in the, at least in the movie Weatherby. I think he does a few. So, chapter four, back to the burrow. Uh, Harry packs up his trunk. And he's ready to go. Uh, the Weasleys finally arrive after being late at uh, number four Privet Drive, and uh, the way they arrive is unusual. We haven't seen this method of transportation before. How do they arrive? Um, don't they arrive through the chimney? They arrive through the chimney because even though Muggles are not normally connected to the flu network, Mr. Weasley got them a temporary connection, basically. It's like you let them borrow the, uh, you know, cable or the uh, (laughs) telephone line or something. Had it temporarily hooked up and then he's going to unhook it when they're done. So uh, they show up in the chimney, but... The chimney's not ready to receive humans, or yeah. so. So what happens? Um, there, there's something in front of the chimney. Um, so um, they all smash into it and get all crumbled up in themselves. And so, what does Mister Weasley do? Um, I think he like, um, tra- um, I think he like, um, he blows up their chimney. That's right. Yeah, he smashes it. So they, so, so they pop out. And uh, obviously the uh, Dursleys are none too keen with, uh, you know, six or eight people just kind of piling out of their chimney that's now exploded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he says he'll uh, he'll fix it, probably with magic, I would imagine. It, which they're still not too happy about. I mean... They don't like any of this. They'll be happy that they have their chimney back, but they'll, but they'll be unhappy that it was fixed by magic. So even though they all show up via flu powder... Uh, several of them, uh, don't have to travel by the flu network. Actually, um, the, um, people have traveled by flu, um, powder, you know? In which book? Two. In book two? I think so. When did they do that? Um, when, when they were... Oh, when they went to Diagon Alley. You're right. And then Harry said the wrong name and went into Borgen and Burks. So, uh, or... No, yeah, Borgen, Borgen and Burks is the bad store, right? Yeah, it's in um, it's in Nocturne Alley. Nocturne Alley. Yeah, okay. Hagrid was only there because he needed to get some bones and flesh and stuff. <laughs> bones and flesh. <laughs> so, uh, you think they sell that like uh, like roasted nuts in a cart? Like, get your bones and flesh. 
Get your roasted bones and toasted flesh. Okay, so yeah, we do know about the flu network. So, uh, but uh, anyone can travel via flu powder, but not everybody can apparate. Who can apparate? Um, only people. I think only people who have graduated some kind of magic school. Uh, you have to be, I want to say, 17, which or would mean over. you've probably graduated. And you also have to pass a test. No, you have you, um, you would be in, like, e- either your sixth or seventh year when you're 17. No, they graduated 17. What? We graduated 18. They graduated 17. Hmm. I, I thought I remember, um, I thought I remember that happening... Later in the book. No. Hmm. I mean, I could always be wrong, but I, I, I've, I've distinctly remembered that they do not go to school through age 18. They're considered adults at age 17. Then, um, then how, then how, um, do the, um, 17, um, year old students come to Hogwarts for the competition thing? You are not allowed to apparate in or out of Hogwarts. No one is, not even adults. I know. To keep it safe. So even though they are allowed to apparate within the world, they can't apparate in or out of Hogwarts. I know that. So what, what are you asking? How, if, if you're graduated um, when you're 17, then um, they're not in school anymore, so they can't come to the competition. I don't think there's anyone over 17 in the competition. There is. Who? Uh, I think... Like, one or two people. Okay, well, then maybe they stay longer in school, or maybe they fail to grade. I don't know. Something. So, anyway. Or maybe Hogwarts has their own rules, and other schools have their own rules. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Sorry. So, uh, so, Fred and George take Harry's trunk. They're gone. Family jumps into the thing. They're gone. Mr. Weasley fixes the fireplace, and then he disapparates. Which, what's apparating? Um, going from one place to another in, like, one second. Yeah, just in the blink of an eye, you disappear. Seems like the best way to travel. It does. I guess if you have a bunch of stuff, you take the flu network. And, uh, Fred and George had been making some candy, and a piece of it got left behind. Remember what happens to it? Um, Dudley sees it, um, and eats it when his parents aren't looking. Um, but... Um, it's a um, magic joke candy. And what happens to Dudley? Um, his um, it's called taffy tongue, or or tongue taffy taffy or something. <laughs> um, and his tongue stretches out super super long, and it turns purple like taffy. Yeah. So they send Harry on. Harry, Mr. Weasley sends Harry on his way, and he's going to stay behind to uh, correct all the problems they've caused in the Dursleys' lives for the day. Honestly, I don't mind it when uh, Dudley. Gets a little abused by magic. I don't care if he gets abused by magic at all. I think they should just leave him with a pigtail and uh, a purple tongue. Forever. Wouldn't bother me. And I think they should turn. Um, I think they should turn his head into um, a Minecraft Steve head. Okay. Yeah, I think he'd like that. <laughs> so, uh, chapter five: Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Harry arrives at the burrow, uh, the Weasley's house. And uh, Fred asks if Dudley ate the ton, ton tongue toffee. It's mm. quite a tongue twister. Can you say how how many times can you say ton tongue toffee? Tongue ton. Oh, you gotta do it fast. Toffee tongue tongue toffee. 
Tun tun toffee. Tun tun toffee. You're saying tun tun. You gotta say tun tung. I am saying tun tung coffee. Tun tung toffee. Tun tung toffee. Tun tung toffee. Tun tung toffee. Sounds like you're saying tun tun coffee. Tun tun coffee. I don't want any tun tun coffee. I know that. That that way, but um, that way your tongue would turn to coffee, so you could have coffee all the time. No, it means when I drink coffee, my tongue would get huge, which is would be unpleasant. Would it? Yeah. So anyway. Fred, Ron, and George are there, but also Bill and Charlie are there. And uh, is this the first time we've seen Bill and Charlie? I guess Bill would have still been at school in book one, right? He would have been a senior. But we never saw him un- um, until until now. We haven't seen Charlie. I don't think I saw him in the movie. They leave out everybody in the movie. Don't I wouldn't compare it to the movie. So okay. out of thin air, Mr. Weasley appears, and he gets on to Fred for leaving that toffee behind, because obviously he did it on purpose. To play yeah. The joke. Mrs. Weasley shows up with Ginny and Hermione, and she's also heard that uh, Fred was playing jokes, and she's mad as well. And she wants to know what Weasley's wizard wheezes is, and Ron tells them what is it. Um, uh, I think it might be a joke shop friend George are trying to open. Yes, they're, they're producing joke candies, magical candies now and putting them in boxes that say Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, hoping to eventually open an entire joke shop with the same name. Because they're all about magic jokes. Yeah, they're definitely pranksters and, uh, you know, the thing that I would worry about is that you, like, would not know the counter spell. So you would eat some of their candy, and then your head would just blow up or something, and you'd, you'd have no idea how to fix it. Yeah, and, and like, wait. Yeah, yeah, that's what I just realized. Um, How did um his tongue get back to normal? Mr. Weasley stayed behind to fix it. Oh, that's right. That's how he knew it happened. I thought that was Harry. So then Percy comes in. He's complaining about the noise because he's a stick in the mud. He's a wand in the mud. Nobody likes him. And he says he's working on a very important report for the ministry. Do you remember what his super important report was about? Something very interesting? <laughs> uh, it was about standardizing cauldron thickness for the Department of International Magical Cooperation to make sure everyone's cauldrons are the same Amount of thickness. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. <laughs> very important. Oh, yes, I want to know all about it. <coughs> so, Harry sees Pig again in uh, in Ron's room. And Ron tells him his real name, which you told me is Pig what? Pigwidgeon. I know it's weird. Their pets have awesome names Pigwidgeon, Crookshanks. Errol. Errol's not that awesome. <laughs> That's a very normal one. Scabbers. Hedwig. Hedwig. No, that's not a good name either. It is Hedwig. Pigwidgeon and Crookshanks. That sounds like three old British ladies. <laughs> so uh, Ron tells him that Percy is obsessed with his new boss at the ministry. Who's his new boss? Um, Bar- Barty Crouch. Bartimus Crouch. Correct. He's also got a pretty great name. And, he kind of uh, does. They go downstairs to help Mrs. Weasley with dinner. Bartimus. <laughs> and Hermione's cat Crookshanks is chasing gnomes around the garden because I guess gnomes are sort of like pests, right? Maybe instead of like um, um, clay garden gnomes that 
that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, they like enchanted them to um, to live. <laughs> or yeah, maybe. I think they're more like sort of, you know, how like mice or gophers would be invading your garden. Like we've got armadillos that dig up our yard. Armadillos live here? We live in Texas. Of course they do. Like the place they live is here. I, ne- I never knew Texas was a rodeo. <laughs> Texas, Texas is exactly a rodeo. I don't know what that has to do with armadillos, but uh, as long as we're de- going on a Texas tangent, <laughs> A, yes, we have armadillos. They're everywhere. And B, yes, the entire t- state of Texas is a rodeo. So We are not a desert. Yeah, most of Texas is a desert. I thought I thought deserts um I thought deserts had only sand and rocks. You've you've never been to West Texas. It's all sand and rocks. We live in North Texas. We are as far from the sand and rocks as you can be while still being in Texas. But yes, most of this gigantic state is a miserable arid desert and uh there's tons and tons of mountains. and I, I'm not miserable. It's because you don't live in the deserty part. <laughs> Trust me, there's a, there's barren wasteland for hundreds and hundreds of miles in Texas. So anyway, now that we're done with Texas talk, <laughs> we are, uh, I've completely forgotten what we were talking about. Um, they go to help with dinner. Crookshanks is chasing gnomes. Uh, Percy is talking about his new... A fascinating job. That's right. You were talking about armadillos, and then we ended up correct. Yeah. Well, I was saying. Oh, that's right. Gnomes. So I was saying, like gnomes dig up their yard and their pests. We have armadillos. We have gophers. We have uh, gophers. All kinds of varmints that that dig holes in our yard. We have big frogs that dig holes in our yard. What? <laughs> it's like it's like you're not out in the yard at three in the morning when they do all this stuff. Of course I'm not. Oh, okay. So <laughs> you are. So. Uh, Percy complains they're not getting the support they need for uh, from the Department of Magical Games and Sports from Ludo Bagman. And Mr. Weasley says he likes Ludo uh, because he got them the ticket to the Quidditch World Cup because Mr. Weasley had done a favor for them. And uh, Percy mentions again that uh, Bertha Jorkins is missing. Who's Bertha Jorkins? I think she worked in the ministry, too, Okay, but so with sort of no help. She went to Albania on, on holiday, and then now she's gone. So there, so she's definitely a person of interest. Maybe she's in the news. They're reading about her possibly in the Daily Prophet or something like that, right? Yeah. And uh, who is in the Quidditch World Cup this year? Um, I think it's Harry's favorite team and something else. It is uh, Bulgaria and Ireland. Oh. And who is the favorite player on the Bulgarian team? Um, Victor Crumb. Victor Crumb. <laughs> and uh, so tomorrow, they're going to go get Harry's new school supplies, get ready for school. Um, v- Victor um, actually calls Hermione Hermione. Hermione. Something. <laughs> Victor. So uh, chapter six, the port key. The next morning, uh, they all wake up and they're ready to go to the World Cup. Everyone that can apparate is going to apparate, but not everybody can apparate. So everyone that can't, including all of our kids, Ron, Hermione, Harry, Harry, they're going to go with Mr. Weasley and find a port key. What is a port key? A port key um, looks like a a muggle object. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Um, 
it looks um like garbage so no <laughs> muggles would pick it up sure um but when but when you touch it um you have to wait a few seconds and then um it'll take you to another port key to the place you want to go yeah it's basically uh two ends of a wormhole that you activate with a with by touching a an object and but it also has to be at a certain time what yeah, that's one of the things with a port key. You you don't you, you sort of have to get uh, like a schedule. Like you have to request to use a port key at a certain time. I request to use the port key at five o'clock in the morning. Exactly. So they've got to uh, they got to go find this port key. So they go hiking. They find the port key. And what is it? Um, um, it's a dirty old boot. A dirty old boot. With scratches and scrapes and dirt and moss. Yeah, and there and there is a danger in using port keys. Do you remember what it is? No. There is a um, wait, or is it is it port keys or is it apparating? Apparating. Oh no, that's apparating. Actually, when people get splinged. What? Do you remember what splinging is? Uh. Uh-uh. No, that's when you try and apparate and you don't know exactly where you're going and half of you stays where you were and the other half of you goes where you were going. So does it so does the skin like seal up where it is or does it does it get all bloody? I would imagine there is some amount of injury but not so much that you die because they mention that the accidental magical reversal department was able to help the people that were getting splinched. So I guess it doesn't kill you. So they're about to leave, and uh, Mrs. Weasley uh, takes Fred and George's remaining ton tongue toffee. Ton tongue toffee, tongue tongue toffee, tongue tongue toffee. <laughs> and uh, they were supposed to throw them away, but they didn't. Uh, and then, then he tells them all about the port key. So they're going to a port key. It's at Stoatshead Hill, the village of Ottery St. Catchpole, <laughs> which is another awesome name. <laughs> Audrey St. Catchpole, Audrey St. Catchpole, Audrey St. Catchpole. Nope, you lost it. <laughs> and, uh, third time. <laughs> they meet somebody there when they uh, go to the port key. Who do they meet there? Um, Cedric Diggory and, and his, his father. dad. Do well, you remember what his dad's name was? Um, A. Diggory? Amos. Amos Diggory, that's right. Amos Diggory and Cedric Diggory. Diggardly. <laughs> and uh, they find the port key. Diggardly. And they mentioned they don't have to wait for the love goods. What are those? We don't know yet. But they don't have to wait for them because they're already there. And they don't have to wait for the faucets. We don't know who they are either because they couldn't get tickets. So they uh, touch the port key. I don't even know what they are. Well, we're, you know who the love goods are because you've read this book. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I don't know what they are. You don't know who someone is with the last name Lovegood? Uh-uh. Who might be in this mo- in this book? Uh-uh. You don't know who Luna Lovegood is? No. Is she not in this book? No. Okay, maybe she's in the next one. I have a hard time remembering when people show up. Okay, well, Luna Lovegood is a friend they will meet later then. Let me think for a second. Oh, that is, that's going to be book. It's either five or six, I guess. Huh. I could have sworn she was in this one. Okay, no. whatever. So, I, you know what? Maybe you just forgot her. Maybe she is in this one. She's not. Chapter 7. Bagman and Crouch. 
So all the friends and the Weasleys and everybody show up at the Quidditch World Cup. And uh, they're welcomed by Basil from the transportation department, assuming he's the guy that got them the reservation for the port key. He sends him off to the campsite. There is a muggle there named Mr. Roberts. What is the problem with having a muggle run a campsite full of witches and wizards? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> you can't think of any... Okay, the cat is trying to jump up on our couch and he's rubbing his face on my computer, making it very difficult to concentrate. Why don't you go away, kitty? Go away, kitty. But I want to be loved. Yeah, he wants to be loved. So there's a muggle that runs the campsite that's full of witches and wizards. Are muggles allowed to know about witches and wizards? No. No. But the Dursleys do. Well, they have special exception because they have one in their family. So and so do the Grangers. Right. But this guy does not. So Mr. Roberts, the guy that runs the campground, they have to send people to do memory charms on him every 10 minutes. Wow. So he's his brain's like Swiss cheese now. <laughs> Full of holes. They also mention that it's a problem because Ludo Bagman's there and he's been talking about Quidditch all day to everybody. And you can't even hear about Quidditch if you're a muggle, right? Nope. They don't, they don't even know it's a sport. It might be the most popular sport in the world. Muggles don't know about it. He was also mentioned that he used to be a beater for a, a professional Quidditch team, right? Yes. So they show up at their spot, and they're going to set up this tent, which uh, in the movie they don't mention is borrowed. And I always had a problem with that uh, because in the book they mention it's borrowed from a guy that Mr. Weasley works with. That's right. What's the deal with this tent? Um, it looks like a regular muggle tent, um, um, but, um, but when you go inside it, it's like the size of a, a mansion. Yeah, and it's also, it's, it's nicer than, like, their house. And I thought, if you have a tent this nice, just stay there, right? Yeah, how about you just live there? Like, take the tent with you. But they borrowed this tent, and, and it was, yeah, you, it, from the outside, it looks <laughs> like a canvas pup tent. You go inside, and it's like a six-room... <laughs> house with a kitchen and you know beds and everything yeah it's awesome and uh like the best the best place you could ever live also like one of the first times i think that harry uh is confronted by something that is uh much larger on the inside than it is on the outside right wizardized <laughs> it's wizardized <laughs> it's enchanted and so uh they set up their tent and uh, they kind of explore the area, right? They're, they're sort of, it's just tons and tons of wizards, all kinds of tents, all kinds of people selling stuff. Yeah. Uh, they meet up with Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, their schoolmates. Um, what, what chapter are we on? The number in? We are in chapter seven. Mm. Bagman and Crouch. Oh, that's what I thought. And so, uh, so they run into some of their friends, and then some of the kids have to go get some water. And while they're waiting in line, uh, they run into Oliver Wood, and he's got some news. Do you remember what his news was? No. He's joined a, a professional Quidditch team. Oh, yeah. I've um, I haven't read the book in so long that now I'm stuck on thinking with the movie. Oh well, yeah, the movie really hasn't even started yet at this point, hardly. 
Yeah, right. So uh, he's he's got signed to the Puddlemere United, and obviously it's the reserve team, which means he's not really going to play in the games unless too many people get hurt. But from what we know about Wood, this is a pretty big deal for him, right? Yeah, because um, he loves Quidditch. He's like his one main... Um, it's like the core of his life. Yeah, it's the only thing he cares about. So obviously that would be the job he would, you know, go for. And then uh, Bill and Charlie and Percy show up by apparating... And uh, they're having lunch. Ludo Bagman shows up and uh, starts telling him that he takes bets, right, on the game. So they place a few bets. Mr. Weasley bets a galleon on Ireland. Fred and George bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, and three newts or nuts. Nuts. And uh, on some wager that they've got. So um, they also... Go ahead. I think it was that Ireland would win something. They had a very specific bet, um, which we'll get into later. So uh, Bagman also tells him that his uh, sort of his counterpart on the Bulgarian side is being difficult, but he'll sort it out. And that he speaks about 150 languages. This is interesting to me. Percy corrects him because Percy has to correct everybody, saying he speaks over 200 languages. But the languages he mentions are Mermish, Gobbledygook, and Troll. Who do you think speaks Mermish? I don't even know what Mermish is. <laughs> I would bet it's mermaids. Oh. Right? What about, this is one that it didn't hit me until a long time afterwards. Who do you think speaks gobbledygook? Um. Gob, 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 gob. Who's got gob in their name? Uh... Not the Gobstoppers. <laughs> Gobblestone? No, what about goblins? Oh. So I bet the goblin language is called gobbledygook. And then I bet trolls probably speak troll. <laughs> I bet it sounds a lot like... Smash. Trolls actually have a hundred words for smash. <laughs> So then Barty Crouch shows up, and uh, he talks to Mr. Weasley about uh, a problem with flying carpets. And Mr. Weasley, this is funny, mentions that, uh, you know, he works for the Muggle Artifact Misuse Whatever. Um, um, Misuse for Muggle Artifacts Office. And so even though a flying carpet is obviously a magical wizard device... And, And enchanting your car two ways... No, no, no. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to enchant cars, but in my mind, if you ask, you know, is a flying carpet a muggle artifact, I'd say, no, it's a wizard carpet that got enchanted. But he says, nope, can't use flying carpets. They are muggle artifacts. They have been enchanted. Leave them alone. That would imply that wizards aren't allowed to have carpet. Does it? So I guess it's hardwood floors for all wizards. What? Is that? what? <laughs> I don't know. I thought, I thought they could have regular carpets. Well, that's what I'm saying. If it's a muggle artifact, then having one that can fly would not be, you know, against the law. Seems odd to me. So anyway. Hmm. So the place, uh, they, they go out to the market. Do you remember what Harry buys at the market? The, um, doesn't he buy dress robes? No, no, no. He gets those later. At oh. the market, he buys omnioculars. 
That's right. And the omnioculars are really cool because they're not just binoculars. Do you remember what's cool about them? Um, you can record something on them and like um and then play it back in slow motion or fast motion or or regular <laughs> motions and you can like um and you can like turn a knob or something um to to make it closer. Yeah, so they're they're sort of like the TV cameras uh, for when you're watching a sporting game uh, on TV. You know, you've got like a sort of facts and you've got play-by-play and you've got uh, instant replay. But what are om- But what does Omni mean? Omni means everything. Oh. All. So we're a binocular. Bi means two. That means two eyes, basically. Try. <laughs> There is no triocular because we don't have three eyes. Triocular. There is a there is a monocle, or a um, I guess let's see binoculars. Do they say monocular when you have one long lens? I don't remember. But anyway, that means mono means one, so it's one eye. I thought um, those would be telescopes. Uh, they're like small telescopes. Yes, they don't expand usually, and so then you've got um, so then you've got. Uh, the omniocular, which means see everything, basically. So you can see everything you want to see. You can zoom in. You can do instant replays. <coughs> so chapter eight, the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, this one is probably the first sort of longish chapter, and it's all about Quidditch. Uh, they all go through the woods towards the the big stadium. Uh, describe the stadium for me. You remember what it looks like? Um... It's big and round. It's not just big. It's, like, massively big. Because Quidditch takes place in the air, right? Yeah. So the stadium goes up. I mean... Like, at least... It's got to be, like, 100 levels, if not more. I was going to say at least 50 miles. Not 50 miles, no. no. <laughs> I was that, being funny. That would be outside of our atmosphere. So... <laughs> That's that's definitely not that far. Would it seriously? I believe so, yes. Because airplanes fly about five to six miles up. What? And much higher than that, uh, there isn't a whole lot of oxygen. And then much higher than that, you are almost in space. So. And if and if you're just in a um in a rocket ship with no spacesuit, you'd be dead. <laughs> well, not if you're inside the rocket ship, but. If it didn't have any oxygen inside it, That's you probably would That's what I'm saying. Be. Okay. So uh, everybody goes to the stadium. And uh, how do they keep the muggles from finding this giant sports arena out in the middle of a campground? Um, the muggles can't find it. It's, an, um, it's transparent and, um, and sort, sort of just a walk-through kind of thing to muggles. Like, you can just walk through it and you won't even know it's there. I don't remember that. I remember them saying there's muggle-repelling charms. So, like, the muggles would sort of walk towards the stadium like, oh, what's that? And then go, I don't care. And then just turn around and walk away. Um, no, it's invisible. Maybe it's invisible to muggles because of the muggle-repelling charms. Maybe. So what kind of seats do Harry, Ron, Hermione, and the Weasleys have? Um, they get to sit way up high in one of the box seats. They're in the absolute highest level. 
Now, here's where I get a little confused, because since so much of the game takes place in the sky, you would think being high up would be pretty good. But in this case, uh, and, and as they'll soon find out from Lucius Malfoy, their seats are not good. I'm guessing maybe somewhere right in the middle is probably the best seat. Why? Because then you can see the sky and the ground and everything that's happening, mm. I suppose. So anyway, they go to the, the top box, and uh, there is a house elf up there with uh, Barty Crouch's... Uh, I guess it's... I think it's Barty Crouch's house elf. Anyway, who is this elf it's, that we meet? Um, yeah, it's Barty Crouch's... Um, I think her name is Winnie? Winky. Winky, that's right. And Winky has got an update on Dobby. What does she say about Dobby? How is Dobby doing these days? Um, he he's very happy, but she doesn't like it. Yeah, what does she not like? She doesn't like how he's just running free and um, just not being controlled, because that's all her life, and she thinks it's kind of fun. She, I don't think she thinks it's fun. I think she thinks it's normal. She doesn't uh, know. She doesn't really care about fun because she doesn't know she could. Normal for house elves, at least. Yeah, and she also doesn't like that he wants to be paid for his work, which implies that Dobby is going out and trying to get jobs and uh, get paid for it. Yeah, like maybe um, selling magic lemonade or something. But she definitely says that freedom for house elves. Bad. She didn't want anything to do with it. She didn't like it. She thinks Dobby's crazy. And she's worried that the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures is going to get on to him. So the uh, mascots for Ireland and for Bulgaria show up. Do you remember what the mascots are? Um, one is Leprechaun. <coughs> um, one of them is Leprechaun. That's Ireland. <coughs> Um, <clears throat> we're both doing this podcast sick, so <laughs> I'm not sick. Well, you're you're getting a cough. I've got a cough. I've got a cold, and I'm not doing so hot. And um, and I think the other ones are what are they called? The Vila. Vilas. The Bulgarians are the Vila, and the Vila's kind of a lady monster, like a demon lady ghost thing. What? Yeah, and they're but they're pretty. I don't remember them looking like that. Well, they're pretty at first. And so the, the, the mascots all fly out, and they fly around. They introduce the teams. The teams come out, and they fly around. Daddy, don't get me sick. I'm not trying to get you sick. But don't. So uh, they have a referee for the match. His name is Hassan Mustafa, and he's from Egypt. And uh, how does he start the game? Do you remember? By... Blowing a horn? Nope. He kicks open the crate with all the balls in it. They fly out. Oh, that's right. Now, what kind of balls do we have in a game of Quidditch? The quaffle, mm-hmm. which isn't magical. Okay. Um, um, kind of, the quaffle's kind of like the football. Yeah, you sort of just throw it around because it can't fly by itself. Mm-hmm. <coughs> The two bludgers and mm-hmm. the golden snitch. Right. The bludgers are the ones that try and knock you off your broom. The snitch is the one that the seeker has to catch. So the seeker goes after the snitch. What are the other two, uh, three other positions on the team? The hitter. No. Wait, 
Beater. Beater, that's right. Beater, the keeper, I think. Yeah, the keeper keeper protects the goal. He's like the goalie. Yeah. Um, the beater knocks away the bludgers. And? Protects the chasers. Chasers, that's right. Chasers are the ones that try and score the goals with the quaffle. So anyway, so that's how that's sort of how a Quidditch team. Wait, my one question is, um, with most sports and games, mm-hmm. um, as you get older, the games or sports you play usually get harder. Okay. But in Quidditch, um, it's it's just staying the same. So it's like you're you're pl- um, it might be hard at first, but then. In, like, a year or so, it gets super, super easy, and then it's super easy for the rest of your life. Why would it be easy? Because you've played it a lot, and now you're getting used to it, and you play really well, so it's kind of easy? No. You're you're always, just like when you played t-ball, you're always playing with people in your age group and your level of experience. So if you got really good, everyone else on the other team also got really good. So the, just like when kids play basketball against other kids and then grownups play basketball against other grownups, it's not easy because they're grownups because their opponents are grownups with experience and skill too. See what I'm saying? No. Okay. Well, when you were a kid and you play a sport against other kids and you're all new to it, you have the same skill level so but what if what if, you, what if you put a grown-up on a kid's team it would be really easy for the grown-up but my question is um if if you get really good at it um mm-hmm. and the rest of your age group is um kind of iffy on it still then what are you supposed to do that wouldn't happen how it just wouldn't like, I mean, each team can have a more skilled player, but if you're going to, especially at the professional level, these are these professional teams are made up of the best Quidditch players in the world. You try out for these teams, and they don't hire you unless you're really good. So you have a whole team of great Irish Quidditch players, and you have a whole team of great Bulgarian Quidditch players. So it's not going to be easy for anybody. Everybody's going to have to work their hardest to win. I'm talking about when you're younger. When you're younger, you're playing against people at your same age and your same skill level. Remember how Harry had to try out for the Quidditch team at Hogwarts? Uh Uh-uh. Well, he did. Well, I mean, Harry, Harry didn't have to try out because he was selected by McGonagall. Everyone else has to try out. Except for Malfoy, who bought his way onto the team with new brooms. Yeah, I never saw them... Um, try out, so I didn't know that. Yeah, they have to try out, so that might answer your question because they they don't let people that are absolutely terrible and show no sign of getting better stay on the team. Uh, yeah, that does answer my question. Okay, good. Um, I guess basically all teams are like that, except for when little little kids play sports, like when you were three or four and played t-ball, they just let anybody play. Yeah, because they're just like, oh, these kids are going to be kind of... Running around making piles of dirt, which is what <laughs> you guys did. Wait, were... I, pl- I played t-ball when I was three? 
I think you were just barely four. What? You played four, four and a half, and five. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of dirt piles being made. <laughs> so, anywho, back to Quidditch. Uh, so they're playing, and uh, where were we? <laughs> the two teams come out. Um, oh, that's right. Harry's watching the game through his monoculars, his omnioculars. And it's giving him all the play-by-play. It's telling him who the players are. It's telling him what moves they do. Um, he probably doesn't know a ton. He's read that book, Flying with the Whoever's. Oh, um, Flying with the Cannons. And yeah. we and we were um, we were talking about um, Winky um, Winky yeah, yeah. Um, giving information on, on Dobby. Yeah. So and Winky's not not super pleased with Dobby's behavior. Nope. So uh, th- this chapter sort of follows the back and forth, who's winning, who's doing good stuff, whatever. At the end of the game, uh, Victor Crumb from Bulgaria, who is not the, uh, I don't think he's the seeker. He is. He is the seeker in the game? Yeah. Well, he catches the snitch. But uh, I, I don't, I've never understood if someone else could catch the snitch if it would, if it would count. What? I guess, it, like, what if one of the chasers caught the snitch by accident? I don't know. They wouldn't be paying attention to the snitch. I know, but what if they caught it? They wouldn't. What if it flew directly into their hand? It anyway. just wouldn't. <laughs> anyway, whatever. So, Crumb catches the snitch, which up until this point has won every Quidditch game we've ever seen. But that does not happen for Bulgaria. You remember what happens? Um... The Irish team was already up 130 points. Oh, that's right. Um, so, so, um, yeah, it this very rarely happens, but sometimes, um, if if um, even if the seeker catches the snitch and they get 150 points, sometimes they still don't win because the other t- um, team. Um, still has more points. Yeah, because Bulgaria only had 10 points, so the snitch gave them 160. But uh, Ireland won with 170. Something. So they're, that's, that's, that means that they were kind of destroying the Bulgarian team uh, the whole game, really. So the snitch didn't even matter. But who is absolutely in love with the Bulgarian team? Which one of our friends is... Uh, Hermione? No. Uh... Um, Somebody's obsessed with Victor Crumb. Ron. Ron. That's his favorite sports personality in the whole world. He's got posters. He talks about him. He's Victor Crumb. He flies like a dragon. He's, you know, he's like. Even if um, Bulgarian isn't, um, the Bulgarian team isn't his favorite team, um, um, he's like. Uh, this is the best Quidditch player in the world, but I still care about the other team that I love. I think at this point, Bulgaria might be his favorite team, even if the... Uh, the so- something. Crambles, what are they called? <laughs> the uh, Crumplers. <laughs> Harry's favorite Quidditch team is the Cannons. Yeah, flat, no, that's well, that was Ron's, because remember, they're no good. I thought... And Ron gave him... I thought him, Harry got the back. That book. No, it, Ron it was Ron. Harry was reading it, but Ron's the one that had the book. 
because uh, oh, that's he right. loved them despite the fact that they're like the worst team. Yeah, um, there are only 13 Quidditch teams ever invented. Um, uh, I always remember the they, Hollyhead Harpies. I don't even know what those are, but anyway. <laughs> um, um, anyway, they're like ninth in the league, so if, if they went down by four, then they'd be last. Yeah, so this is also where Fred and George's bet pays off. Because they bet with Bagman that Crum would catch the snitch, but that Ireland would win. It's almost like they could tell the future. Hmm. Maybe they can. I don't think they can. Maybe they maybe they had divination class. I don't know. <laughs> Chapter 9, The Dark Mark. This is where we get off Quidditch and things start to get serious. Everybody goes back to the tents. <coughs> Daddy coughs a little bit. And they have some hot chocolate and go to bed. Harry is woken up by Mr. Weasley, and everything is going nutcakes. What's going on? <laughs> nutcakes. Uh, it's all banana pants. What's going on? <laughs> I would say pretty much everywhere in the magical world is banana, banana pants, nutcakes. But what what is going on with this particular crazy. banana pants situation? <laughs> I keep laughing when you say that. I know. Um... Um, th- there are these people in masks, and they're torturing ev- every single person. They don't care if it's wizard, muggle, doesn't Well, they're specifically going after one type of person. Muggle? They're going after muggles because they've got Mr. Roberts, the ground, the, uh, the campsite manager, and some other people, which may be his family, and they're f- hanging them upside down in the air. So you've got these guys in cloaks, they're wearing masks, they're all scary and creepy, they're causing mayhem. They're shooting spells everywhere. They're making muggles float against their will. And uh, Mr. Weasley tells everybody, get out of here. Get to the woods. And Bill and Charlie and Percy and Mr. Weasley are going to go help. I'll take the tent with you. <laughs> uh, at this point, they don't care about the tent. They're more concerned about their lives because Mr. Weasley realizes who these guys are. I know. was being funny. So do you know who they are? The Death Eaters? These, Yeah, these are the Death Eaters, and they are the followers of who? Lord Voldemort. So, when Voldemort was in power 13 years ago, he had all these followers doing his bidding. When he disappeared, they seemed to disappear, but maybe they were just lying low, waiting for him to return, because now here they are. Yeah. And from the first chapter, we know that maybe Voldemort has a body now. Possibly. So maybe the, he's yeah. rebuilding his followers at this point. Possibly. So anyway, they're they're going around causing mayhem. Everyone's running and screaming and freaking out. But one thing I was gonna say, mm-hmm. if Voldem- if Voldemort was under one of those masks, I'm just saying if he was, mm-hmm. um, to like hide himself, I think people would be um would be going about twice as crazy as they are now. Maybe so. <laughs> so luckily we know he's not there though. He's still in a weird. Baby buddy. <laughs> so they run into Draco. Cool body. Draco tells him they're after muggles. So he warns Hermione. What does he tell her? Um, I can never if it, remember if it was this book or, um, or, um, the last book, um, where where he said, "Watch out, mudbloods" or something. Yeah, he says that she's a mudblood, and that's. Almost as bad as a muggle. So if they're if they're trying to muggles aren't bad. They're just people. According who, to these wizards and according to Draco. Oh, 
Yeah, so she better get out of there, which is... It's weird of Malfoy to sort of warn her for her safety, but at the same time, he's insulting her, so... Yeah, it's like, he's like, get out of here, but... Because you he stink. called her <laughs> Because he called her the most terrible name ever. Yeah, exactly. He's like, get out of here. It's like, you stink and they hate people that stink, so you should go. <laughs> like, so, uh, it's like he wants her to stay alive? Something. You never know with Draco. I'm, so I'm really not sure. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, they get lost. They run into the woods. They get separated. They uh, run into a girl who speaks French. They realize she's from another uh, wizarding school. Which one? Um, do not remember this part. Bo Batten's. Bo Batten's Academy of Magic from France. Was it Florida Elcor? I don't know. There's someone speaking French. I didn't mean which person in which school is what I was oh. saying. Oh. And then Harry yeah, realizes... I don't know where any of the schools live. Harry that? realizes he's lost something very important. What has he lost? His wand. Yeah, that's no good. Somebody comes running out of the bushes, though, who may have Harry's wand. Who is it? We don't know yet. Well, let's assume we know because they find out almost instantly. They think it's Winky. Yeah, Winky comes running out of the bushes. And, uh, but... This is interesting. She can't seem to go where she wants to go. She can't seem to run away. Do you remember that? No. She looks as though something invisible is holding her back, and they wonder that, is it because she isn't allowed to run and hide? Because house elves are controlled by their masters. So that is something you don't know yet about house elves, like... If they're not allowed to do something, they physically cannot do it. Like, it, their their magic prevents them from running away if they're not allowed to run away. That's pretty weird, considering all the stuff that Dobby was allowed to do in book two, right? Wasn't that book three? No, book two is where Dobby tries to stop Harry from going to school. Oh, that's, that's right. So... If he wasn't allowed to do those things, how did he actually do them? That's sort of an ongoing question that, that I don't think is really ever answered. Like, Winky can't do it, but Dobby can. What does that even mean? It, it's hard to understand. Unless Dobby was ordered by the Malfoys to stop Harry from going to school, which doesn't make sense because they want him there because they want him to get eaten by the snake. So I don't know. Yeah, and they also want to torture him for the rest of the Yeah, so who knows? That, that That's a weird inconsistency uh, between these two books. But uh, So Harry realizes he's lost his wand. Here comes Winky. And uh, they see some goblins. They see uh, the Vila. The Vila at one point earlier, the reason I mentioned that they looked pretty at first is because when they reveal their true faces... They have giant bat wings and bird faces. Never knew that, ever. <laughs> well, you did when you read the book, but I'm sure you forgot it. And uh, they see another wizard running around who Harry recognizes as Stan Shunpike. Who is that? You don't remember Stan Shunpike from the night bus in book oh, three? Oh, th- he, was, he was here? Yeah, he was at the World Cup. What? Everybody's at the World Cup. It's the okay. place to be. Little Bagman shows up. It's like the... Game of the year. <laughs> well, it is. Exactly. It's the biggest game of the year. So uh, Ludo Bagman shows up, and they tell him what's going on. Do you remember what he does? He's out. Oh. He just, he disapparates. He's out of there. 
He didn't want any part of this. He's like, okay, I don't want to get involved in this. I'm just gone. Then they hear another voice close by say a spell. Mors Mordre. Remember what that does? It sends up dark mark. What is the dark mark? What does it look like and what does it mean? Um, at first it's a giant green skull head. Um, and wait a second, and it's spitting out a snake. Yeah, it's a giant skull head vomiting a snake <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> and what does it mean? Um, it means that um, Voldemort has returned. Yeah, it's the sign of Voldemort. So Lord I think we're supposed Voldemort to. Voldemort has returned. I think it's supposed to be like if they would have done something nasty back in the day, they would have put that mark in the sky to let you know they were there. It's kind of like their calling card. So they see the dark mark, and then all these people start crowding around Harry as if they're going to attack him. But it's not the Death Eaters. It ends up being like the good guys, right? Yeah, the Ministry people. Yeah, you got Mr. Crouch, and you got uh, Amos, Mr. Weasley, and uh, they all shoot a stupefy at the same time in a circle around Harry. But he ducks. He gets Hermione to duck. They all hit the ground. Why? Why would they? Um, why would they want to make Harry stupid? <laughs> well, that's not what Stupefy does. Stupefy stuns you. Doesn't make you stupid. Oh. Even though the name sounds like it implies that, but uh, they couldn't see his face. They didn't know who he was. They thought he was the one that fired the dark mark. So Mr. Weasley realizes who it is. Tells everybody to stop. Mr. Crouch still thinks it was them. Says, which one of you conjured the dark mark? And and then and then Mr. Weasley is like, they're kids. They couldn't, um, only the most powerful wizards ever could conjure the dark mark. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're, they're definitely not thinking it was uh, some, what are they now, 14? Not a bunch of 14-year-olds. Yeah, 14. So they find Winky stunned. And Mr. Crouch goes and looks at her, and he finds something with her. What does he find? Harry's wand. She's got Harry's wand. So uh, they figure, you know, I know a quick way to solve this problem to see if Winky used this wand. What do they do? They they use a some kind of spell um, where where it shows you the last um, spell that the wand made. Priori incantatum. That's right. And what happens? I don't really remember. You don't remember what spell Harry's wand showed? No. It shot out a miniature version of the Dark Mark. Oh. So they knew that it was probably Winky. There's another problem here. One thing? Yeah. It's it's just like the 14-year-olds. They couldn't do it. They're not supposed to do it. That's the other thing that's different. What? Um... So, the reason they keep bringing up this sort of uh, part of the ministry that manages uh, non-human magical creatures is that house elves are basically considered animals. But they're as intelligent as we are. They're, uh, they have feelings like we do. They have self-awareness they, like they we do. They walk on two legs like we do. <laughs> I mean, they they have all the qualities of sentience and, uh, you know, uh, um, self, 
like an understanding of self that we do, yet we treat them like animals. And the more they, we learn about the wizarding world... They have thumbs. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't have a lot to do with it, but... Yeah, because most animals don't have thumbs. But that doesn't give them sentience. So, uh, the thing we, we, we... As we learn more about the wizarding world in, and in the books to come, we learn that they don't necessarily treat the magical creatures with, like, human intelligence as good as they treat humans. House elves, centaurs... They sort of they sort of have to treat people good. Well... I mean house elves. Because since they're ruled, um, if, if they did something bad... Oh, no, bad, yeah, I see what you're punish- saying. No, I mean, like, the humans, the human wizards do not treat other magical creatures that are as smart as we are and as intelligent as we are and as self-aware as we are. Doesn't Harry? They treat them like animals. Well, Harry doesn't know any of this. Harry Harry is sort of the blank slate. He's not grown up in the wizarding world, so he meets a house elf. He treats him like a person. Even though Dobby was very annoying when they met, Harry doesn't know that they're supposed to be you know, substandard creatures, according to everyone else. So he treats them f- fairly, right? Everyone else treats them pretty crappily, so... Um, Ron and Hermione don't. Hermione especially doesn't like how house elves are treated. Ron doesn't seem to have too much of an opinion on it. That's right, because he doesn't know house elves very well. They're not rich enough to have a house elf. That's one thing. House elves are rich people property. They're rich people slaves, basically. So they don't have a house elf. Uh, if I if I had a house elf, um, um, if I could, um, I would treat them fairly and um, give them money for what they do for me. Well, you would also have to give them the choice to work for you and and not just own them. So, uh, they re- they see Winky, they see the wand, they see the spell, but they can't actually prove that Winky cast the dark mark. And plus, it's illegal for non-human creatures to use wands. So they could have her on a bunch of different crimes, basically. But they assume she's guilty anyway. And what does Mr. Crouch do as punishment? Um, he fires her. Yeah, he sets her free. Which sounds great. But Winky is like, no, no, Master, I want to stay with you. Yeah, she does not want to be free. So he's not really setting her free. He's casting her out. Sort of torturing her. She has no home. She has no way to get food. Sort of just throwing her out like he doesn't care about her. She's tossed out on her uh, house elf butt. But but that seems a little harsh for somebody who didn't do nothing, and you have no proof that she did it. Well, the thing we'll learn about Barty Crouch... Uh, is that he tends to jump to conclusions. I mean, the first thing he did was accuse Harry of casting the Dark Mark. Even though he's 14. The second thing, and he's Harry Potter. He's definitely not in league with Voldemort. He's not the most evil person in the world. And uh, and the next thing he does is he accuses Winky, who is his faithful servant, um, without having concrete evidence. So he's he definitely jumps to conclusions. And that, that sort of remains a character trait of his. Uh, so we're back at the camp, and Bill and Charlie and Percy, they've gotten a little injured in all the, the commotion and fighting. And Hermione tells everybody that, you know, the Dark Mark is you-know-who's symbol. And she read that in a book called The Rise and the Fall of the Dark Arts. 
And then Bill identifies these other guys as the Death Eaters. And they're you-know-who's supporters. And then that's kind of how they finish the World Cup. So, sort of a crazy end to just a, uh, like, sporting event, right? Yeah. How do you think, um, how do you think Harry feels about the coming year now? Uh... He hasn't even started school yet. Yeah, he's he seemed like okay. This year is gonna be <clears throat> one of the worst ever. It's the one thing about about being at Hogwarts is everyone says it's one of the safest places in the world, but once you actually get there, it's like oh um um there's something torturing kids um every yeah. single year here. So yeah, you're always in mortal danger at Hogwarts. We, we don't really care. We'll just see what happens. Even if a kid dies, we don't care. But. But this year, the uh, the sort of uh, you know brushes with death have started before the school year even starts, so it's unprecedented. Uh, Harry, Harry's life is uh, always in danger, and now uh, it's in danger in summer. Yeah, and um, and now and now would be good um, good decision for the teachers to make. Oh um um oh we're not gonna let you go to school this year. We're just <laughs> we're just gonna shut it down forever. Well, then we wouldn't have books. So we've got to have a, a Harry Potter book to read. Well, still, it's like something is torturing the kids every single year, and now he's been tortured in the summer. Yeah, so so the uh, I, I would imagine this is going to make national wizard news since the Quidditch World Cup is the biggest event of the sports year. Well, and everyone w- loves Quidditch. Well, wouldn't uh, wouldn't the typewriter be destroyed? <laughs> no, no. I mean, people are going to report this news afterwards, and so you would think. And we'll see going forward that maybe uh, this is not the case. But you would think that immediately everybody would be on board like, oh, man, like Voldemort's supporters are back. Some serious stuff is going down. We should, like, go look for him or maybe go fight him or something. Um, how how about we um, move move out of the country? <laughs> I don't think that I don't think they'd be safe from him anywhere they went. So that's it for uh, this episode. When we get back. I believe we'll catch up with Harry and the gang going back to school. There's about 38 chapters, so I'm thinking four episodes for this book. But they do get longer and longer. <laughs> it's book four. So I and hope four we chap- can. So, four so I hope we can. Uh, I hope we can, you know, get through this without like eight episodes. But uh, that's it for uh, Potter and Daughter. If you enjoy the podcast, please do become a patron uh, at our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Sue. You can sign up for one, three, five, or more dollars a month to uh, help support this podcast and show your support. Our theme song is This Book is So Awesome by Harry and the Potters. Google Harry and the Potters Bandcamp to find more of their Harry Potter-related music. And if you have a question for us, something that we might answer on a future episode uh, concerning really anything Harry Potter-related, be it about a book we've already discussed or one that we may discuss or will discuss in the future, send it to podcast at hijinksensue.com, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E.com, podcast at hijinksensue.com. For Potter and Daughter, I'm Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Good episode? Yeah. Great episode. I love this book. It's so awesome. (laughs) This book is so awesome.